Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. Often one of the last things that business owners tick off on their legal diligence check is trademarks. And many, of course, simply don't do it at all. History tells us through a succession of case law that not getting your trademarks sorted can have a catastrophic impact on your business. So let's find out the ins and outs of this area of law that isn't spoken about to the extent that it probably should be. Today, I'm with Kane Philsend, a law graduate at Coots. Kane, at the outset, what is the trademark application process? Uh, yeah, so I might actually start off with what a trademark actually is. So it's a word or a set of words or a logo or something um, that's registered as a trademark. So it's different from uh, a copyright, which is something that's an automatic right granted. Um, essentially, when you create something, usually a, a piece of art, a book, a film or something like that. Um, the differentiating uh, point of a trademark is it's a good way to think about it as an indicator of a brand, so a brand name or a logo, um, that's something that you register as your trademark. And um, there's other things such as sounds or 3D shapes or things, but um, that's the simplest way to think about it. Um, in terms of the uh, registration process, um, first you have to decide what you actually want to trademark. In most cases with small businesses, it's um, usually a set of words, like, I don't know, Andy's accounting or something, um, and then a logo to go along with it. Um, the next thing you do is you pick your class or classes that you want to apply in, um, and that's pretty straightforward. There's um, different classes that are set out uh, for different types of businesses. So if you're running an interior decorating company, you'd apply under a different class um, than someone writing, running an IT consultancy business or something. Um, so then once you or your lawyer submit your initial trademark application, it usually takes about two months uh, to know whether you've been accepted. Um, uh, or you might receive um, after that, you'll get confirmation of acceptance or um, you might actually get what's called an adverse examination report from a, uh, IP Australia. Um, that's the regulatory body that sees trademark applications in Australia. And basically, this report will um, reject your application in first instance, uh, which could be a number of reasons, like if the business name is too similar to another trademark. Um, but to that, that, you can then provide further evidence in response to the report. Um, after that, your application may be accepted again, uh, rejected, or you might get a request for further information. Um, once you have got it registered, though, you get a certificate of registration. You have the rights to the trademark. You can license it and do with it what you like. Um, and most importantly, protect it if, um, in the case that somebody else tries to use it. Now, in relation to your last response there, Kane, what happens actually if someone uses your trademark? Um, so if somebody else uses it without your permission, um, usual first steps to send them a strongly worded letter like a cease and desist or something, um, basically outlining your rights uh, to the trademark um, explaining how they're infringing those rights and in warning of the consequences if they continue. Um, but if they don't respond to that or they just ignore the letter, um, if you have your trademark registered, then you're actually able to sue them on the basis of infringement of your intellectual property rights. Um, and then it's particularly useful if you're able to um, prove that you've lost uh, some kind of income or reputational damage, which is often the case. 
Um, so yeah, having that trademark registered, you're actually able to enforce it. Whereas if you didn't, you have nothing to enforce against them. I'm assuming that there's probably business owners listening to this podcast that uh, you know have got they've got their business name registered and they've also registered their name domain name. Is that enough to protect them? Unfortunately, not. And it's a common misconception that if you've uh, registered your business name, you have an ABN, set up a website, um, that means you've got some kind of protection. But it doesn't, unfortunately. Um, and it sometimes ends up being a problem. So a person can be. Um, running their relatively successful small business, um, and then another person comes along and starts running pretty much the same kind of business, um, sometimes with just one letter changed in the name, um, selling the same products. And then uh, in that case, you're still able to send, say, a cease and desist letter or something at this stage. Um, but if they don't respond, you're not actually able to enforce your rights because that business name or domain doesn't give you the right to actually enforce against them, um, which can be a bit unfortunate because we've run into a few cases where, you know, someone's doing quite well because they've built a good reputation for their business, for quality or customer service as it may be, then this copycat business comes in and then uh, you've, in some cases, the first business might actually start to receive complaints um, about like poor quality uh, of the products, faulty products or poor service or something. Um, They're getting order complaints about that copycat business's uh, products. just because of the confusion that that's already causing. So not only does the second business that's come in, they start cashing in on your advertising and your reputation that you've worked hard to build, um, they're actually also damaging that if they're delivering a worse um, product or service. Um, And until you proceed down the trademark application process, there's not actually much you can do against them to enforce um, your rights. So, Kane, to give listeners a little bit of context, um, what are a few examples of trademarks? Um, So... Trademarks are, like I said, a good way to think of them. It identifies a brand. So, you know, big brands like McDonald's um, and the big yellow arches, um, any car brand like Toyota or Hyundai, Mercedes or anything. Um, a lot of the things you buy in a supermarket, Dove soap, Cadbury chocolate, things like that. We we did mention uh, at the outset, you know, that there is this real importance of uh, registering a trademark. Um, what, what would you say to a business owner who is who is you know questioning that at the moment? You know, they're thinking, okay, well, you know, funds are funds are tight. Uh, I've got other priorities. Uh, it's the last thing on my checklist. Why do I need to do it now as opposed to later on? Um, so it's really about that enforcement aspect. So um, sometimes you'll the first time we hear about it is. Uh, Someone's coming to us because they've got they've figured out somebody else is using a very similar business name or cashing in on their advertising that kind of thing, um, running that kind of second copycat business. But then you're not actually able to um, do any enforcement action against them because you haven't got that trademark uh, registered. So it is a little bit of a process to get sorted out, um, but it's a real investment in uh, the future to protect. Um, against in case somebody else does try to start infringing on your intellectual property rights. You've got something to actually back that up. We did talk about the application process. Um, what's the length of time it normally takes? So it can take a little bit of time. So after you first submit your application, you're usually looking at about two months to hear back from IP Australia um, about whether you need to provide any further information or if you've got preliminary acceptance. Uh, best case scenario is where you're accepted at that first instance. Um, but that doesn't actually mean you're registered straight away. And the biggest 
delay um, is actually because IP Australia needs to comply with some of its international obligations, where it's got to uh, give priority to certain other applications. Um, so the very soonest you can usually get it registered is seven months. Um, so it takes some time before, uh, since that first application you submit and actually getting registered. Um, during that time, you're also uh, your application gets put up for advertisement for an opposition period. Um, where existing trademark owners uh, can have a look at the advertising board um, and if they believe that your trademark is similar to theirs or might affect their rights, um, they can submit an opposition to your registration. So that might uh, slow things down a bit more if you have to defend against that. Kane, what about uh, for you know international businesses? Uh, you know, like uh, if there's a, 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 a company, say in Australia, that is also trading in the US, uh, do they need to go to a distinctly different sort of jurisdiction to uh, to apply for a trademark registration in that particular country? Uh, there's a few ways you can do it. You can do a uh, there's an app type of application you can do that applies to all of the jurisdictions under a certain treaty. Um, that's usually if 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 it's just a business branching out to say one just to the US for example, um, usually better off just doing uh, that trademark in, in the US as well. Um, it's a it's a separate process, but if you've already got your Australian trademark registered, you've got that basis to um, base this your US application on. Yeah, okay, yeah. gotcha. So uh, now, conversely, there, there may be uh, people listening to this podcast who perhaps want to use someone else's trademark. Um, what's the process there in terms of seeking permission? Um, so, yeah, you definitely have to seek permission if you want to use um, another trademark. Usually that's done in some kind of um, intellectual property licensing agreement of some kind, um, say with franchise agreements often. Um, franchisees are granted um either under the franchise agreement or a separate um, licensing agreement to use uh, the branding of that business. And that's usually where a lot of the value is. Say if you're doing a McDonald's franchise, a lot of the value um, is in, you know, the brand name or the big yellow arches. Um, if you were to use someone else's trademark without their permission, though, um, although there's no, like, automatic penalty, you won't get a fine in the mail, um, but if the trademark you are, you, the owner of the trademark that you start using without permission, um, once they realise that you've been using it, then they have grounds to take enforcement action against you. Um, and then they could argue similar things um, that you might if someone was infringing on your um, intellectual property rights. So that it's affected their reputation in the marketplace, caused a loss of income, and you don't want to be liable for that. Kane, many people may well know that you know Cadbury uh, trademarked the colour purple. What does this actually mean for other businesses uh, that may want to use the colour purple in in their um, in their trademark? Well, fortunately for that one, actually, the latest update with that case was um, the UK court overturning the ruling. Um, so on their reasoning for that was uh, that the specific colour purple it was just a standard Pantone colour. Um, had no distinctive character and was too broad. Um, so because the terminology on the trademark um, was that the predominant colour was applied to the surface of the goods, this was just, in effect, way too broad and unrealistically restrictive on other brands um, using the same or a similar colour purple in their packaging. Um, in Australia, the law is governed by um, both case law and the Trademarks Act. 
And the more recent approach um, when accepting applications is moving towards a dominant cognitive cue approach, so where the certain essential features which kind of jump out to you and catch the eye are compared side by side to see whether the trademarks are substantially identical. Um, so in the Cadbury case, if this were to re be reconsidered in Australia, um, the question the court might consider is whether the colour purple is the dominant cognitive cue on the bar of chocolate. And if so, that might be accepted and then certain other confectionery brands might not be able to use that. Um, but there are other considerations, though, that um, are taken into account um, under the Act. So whether there's a likelihood to con cause confusion in the marketplace, um, if the trademark were to be accepted, um, or whether accepting the trademark would unreasonably restrict future uses of the trademark. Um, so in this hypothetical, might actually get a similar decision where it just might not be enough to um, be a distinctive character um, because this is too broad and it would unrealistically restrict um, other businesses from using the colour purple or something. So, Kane, so if there's business owners listening to this podcast and they have got questions about trademarks, they can reach you at Coots? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something we'll usually raise as uh, if you're purchasing an existing business or you're setting up your own, um, it's usually something that will um, at least bring to your attention for the um, consideration within the first year of operation or so. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something we can assist with. It's not something um, that a lot of firms cater to, but it's something we're uh, able to offer. Kane, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find me on all social channels, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube with the handle Law by Dan, or simply drop by lawbydan.com. Thanks.